Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to another episode of Backlash Podcast. This one's sponsored by McDonald's Coffee and Monster Energy Drinks. It's actually not sponsored by anybody, but that's what I've been running on today. It's a little bit uh, rough. I got, I don't know what time is it, 1 o'clock in the afternoon, and I got, I don't know, probably 9 hours awake already, so that's no good. But we're back after it. It's uh, after the new year. We would typically be getting ready for the Chicago Muskie Show this week, and unfortunately we are not. So we're going to talk a little bit with Brad and Carrie Hoppy today about anything that they would have potentially going on in place of the Muskie Show. And we had a listener suggest that we should talk about how to build a tackle box in an effort to put together a quick podcast. We figured that would be a topic that we could attack today. My co-hosts today are Brad and Carrie Hoppy with Muskie Mayhem Tackle, and I'll let one of those two talk about Muskie Mayhem Tackle. Well, it's I'm Brad, and we're from Muskie Man Tackle. We are the originators of the big bladed uh, non-bucktail, if you will, by using Flashaboo and other different types of skirts. But uh, known for big blades, but we also carry some of the small blades, and you can check us out on muskiemayhemtackle.com, as well as on Facebook and Instagram. And if you're looking for a whole pile of muskie gear, check out teamrhinooutdoors.com. We are your source for custom colors, although nowadays we have pretty much everybody's stock colors as well. So we're just your source for colors. I mean, if you want the biggest selection of colors around, you can find it from us. Heck, I don't know how many colors of showgirls I had to put on on the website recently. What is it, Brad? Carrie, 52, something like that. Is that what I said? 52 colors of double showgirls? I thought you said 60. I don't know. It's a lot. It, it might be. It's ridiculous. Nobody should have that many colors of showgirls on their website ever, except for... I beg to differ. <laughs> well, seeing as though you like getting paid, I could see why you would beg to differ. <laughs> Speaking of musky mayhem products and lots of color selection, if you're looking for the new trigger, which has probably been one of the hottest baits that we have for sale in the last uh, three months or so, I don't know how many colors of those we have too. Must be pushing close to 30 now. It's getting up there. That would be my guess. Yeah, it's it's pretty ridiculous. But anyways, you know, if you're looking for lots of musky gear, check us out. TeamRhinoOutdoors.com So, Carrie, Brad, which one do you want to talk about? What's going on for the non-musky show this weekend? Well, we'll let Carrie do that because she's kind of been the one planning it while I've been working, so... Go for it, Carrie. Hold, um, hold, hold on a second. What what have you been doing, Brad? Uh, it's called work. Oh, yeah. really? Yeah. Is that, what you do? Uh, Is that what you do in the winter? Uh, well, we've been ice fishing, too. But honestly, we really, really cracked the whip throughout the whole month of December because we have a ton of big initial orders going out to Fleet Farm and a couple other places. And so we are really, really backed up and busy. But, um, yeah. We've just been crushing on those, and being that we're not planning for the shows, like you mentioned, it's kind of given us a little bit more free time in the sense that we actually got out ice fishing over the the New Year week anyway. That's awesome. All I did was sled with my kids. Every single day, they want me to take them sledding. We haven't ice fished in a week or week and a half or whatever it is since before Christmas, but sledding, I got that down. I am a sledding master, so. Oh, that's important, too. That's good stuff. Brad, Brad has this relentless wife who insisted on going ice fishing every single day. So it's not all bad. So you have four relentless kids. He has one relentless wife. Probably equal. 
Well, as long as it's working out and you guys are catching fish, I guess that's all that matters. Yeah, we're a little out of practice, but we're still catching a few fish. It's been a long time since we did any amount of ice fishing. Like, like where we actually, well, honestly, where we've actually already fished this much, it's probably been 20 years. I can understand. 15 for sure. Well, that's because, like we had talked about, normally this week, there's no way you'd be going to do that. No, no. No, we're coming up on year 16 of the of Musky Man Tackle, and pretty much ever since we started this business, we have been pretty much tied to it as far as, you know, free time during this time of the year. It seems strange. I know there's probably listeners out there going, how can they be that busy? It's the middle of winter. But, you know, it's kind of like when people say, Oh, probably around what Thanksgiving time, or maybe even before. There's Christmas stuff on oh, the shelves. That would be in September. Yeah, September. <laughs> there's Christmas stuff on the shelves already, or maybe it's Fourth of July and there's uh, Halloween stuff coming out already. But you know, that's how these box stores plan. They plan six, eight months in advance, and that's kind of how it works. Yeah, and I think with the way things went last season, I think people are even gearing up even more. You know, I know typically. I'd say like, we'll just call them the one affiliate shops, you know, like us and our competitors, they typically wouldn't, they would kind of dwindle their inventory down through the winter, I would say. And I don't think that as many of them are doing that this year. I think more of them are balking up because it was difficult to get things last year in a timely fashion from, from some people, not saying it was musky mayhem tackle related, but there were some that were a little tougher than others. Yeah. And you know, we pride ourselves, Jeff, in, in quick delivery. And so, I mean, that's a, it's important. You know what I mean? It's uh, number two, I believe, right behind quality. So delivery is a, a huge deal. And if, if stores don't have things on their shelf, guess what? They're not buying your stuff. So it's a big part of the equation. So before I interrupted you guys talking about Brad working and ice fishing, Carrie was going to talk about something going on this weekend. What's up, Carrie? Uh, well, we, since we don't have shows, we decided to do. Uh, some show colors, so we'll have, we have, what do we all have? We have some show color, uh, rabbit girls, rabbit twirls. We have some willow-bladed rabbit twirls. We have, we'll have some custom color triggers and detonators. Uh, Mika's been busy building more custom colors. So we will have all that on the website before or on Friday and I actually have a special tab on my website that says show colors so all that will be listed under that show color page and then we are offering free shipping with the slowdown in the mail over Christmas and I was talking to our mail lady today they're they're catching up but they're not caught up and I'm sure you know that all too well Jeff all too well um, all of our shipping will be two-day FedEx. So everybody who orders this weekend will have their baits in a couple of days. And do they need to enter a code on your website to get free shipping, or is it just free shipping? No, they do need to enter a code. The code is CHICAGO21. All that's capital letters. A, that's a lot better than the code that I'm going to use. That's way more thoughtful. <laughs> I, 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 like, I like easy, Jeff. Well, mine's going to be easy. It's going to be easier than that. So 
Team Rhino Outdoors is, since we normally go down to a show, we hang out at the show for the weekend. You can normally come into our booth and pick up whatever you want. We're going to offer free, free shipping all weekend long. It'll be the 8th, 9th, and 10th of January up until midnight on the 10th. Enter the code FREE, F-R-E-E, at checkout, and you'll get free shipping this weekend. for. And we'll just use free economy shipping. We do have some other shipping options, and if you want it faster, you can use those options. But if you want free economy shipping, then enter the code FREE on our website. And unlike Carrie, we have no show tabs, but we do have a lot of cool new products that you know, just recently came to our website. We definitely did not sit back and, you know, hang out all fall long, even though I did fish. So I got to get away a little bit. We added some new products. And if you follow our Facebook page, there's a bunch of them. Like I had mentioned earlier, we have seven, eight new colors from Musky Mayhem Tackle. We just got a new box of topwater baits here today. That's going to be super cool. They'll be on our website. Hopefully, maybe by the time you hear this podcast, if all goes well. We've gotten restocked on Bulldogs like crazy. Um, we have a bunch of other new stuff coming, we, and we've even added some newish colors in dogs. I mean, certain things we carried it in this style, not that style, and now we brought things. We upped the inventory a little bit further yet, which was, I don't know, maybe not the smartest idea. Seems like I had that problem. I like to add and add and add, and it gets out of hand sometimes. But anyway, so if you want any of that stuff, go check it out, teamrhinooutdoors.com. Like I said earlier, we are your source for musky tackle for 2021. So I think as far as information is concerned, oh, by the way, I was going to say something. Carrie mentioned willow bladed rabid squirrels. I don't know anybody would want one of those. I definitely would stay as far away from that product as you could. It catches no fish. It's terrible. Don't buy them. And if you do buy one, it's probably defective. So I would just send it right over to me. Just Jeff at TeamRhinoOutdoors.com. You get the website on, or get the address on the website, and just send it right over to me. If for some reason you make a mistake and you do buy one, because I'll dispose of it properly for you. <laughs> wow! <laughs> like, I guess you're impatiently waiting for yours. Might be, yeah. I mean, it's only been what two years. I'm working on it. Better late than never. That's all I can say. It's better late than never, but. Yeah, I've been impatiently waiting for them because, quite honestly, that was probably one of my favorite bucktails that Bill ever made. And then when it went away, so did they. And I haven't had a new one in I don't even know how long. So I'm looking forward to maybe being able to throw one again this year because I've said it before. I don't know what it is about the rabid squirrel. It doesn't look super spectacular in the water, but those things catch fish, man. They do. I'm excited to try some rabbit girls this year too. I didn't play around with that last year either. I'm hoping maybe those are going to do the same kind of thing. Yeah. You know, Jeff, it's really crazy. And one of the problems that I always have is when we're testing out new products and of course we were doing that this year and they've been released, you've been selling them, you know, with the uh, detonator and the trigger. I kind of did not throw the rabbit girls much this season. And um, the season before when we were working with those, man, we had just unbelievable success on them. So, definitely something to think about you know it, it kind of offers basically the same profile same style as a rabbit squirrel but the color options are a little bit better and the reason that they're better is because dying squirrel tails does not work real well <laughs> you know you can get some pretty simple colors out of them where flash of the sky is the limit on colors so the rabbit girl was kind of a cool little answer to that yeah absolutely i'm looking forward to trying them out like i said i didn't have them 
Typically, if we're filming and we don't have the stuff on our website, I definitely don't throw it. And since now we have rabbit girls on our website, it's it's time to make that happen. Since we were talking about baits here, let's talk about that. We had a, I don't remember where I got it, email, text message, something. Somebody was talking about building a tackle box. They said there's so many choices and so many options available. You know, what would you want or what would you need in it to build a tackle box? And, well, that's a very difficult question to answer because there are so many baits. And it also depends on where you're fishing, depths you're fishing, how fast you're going, all that kind of stuff, seasonality. But I think we can kind of get you an idea of maybe the general rule, kind of something that you should have in your tackle box. Don't you think, Brad, Carrie, we could probably, we could probably answer this, don't you think? Oh, hands down, Jeff. You know, I, while you and Carrie were going back and forth there, I was sitting here writing on post-it notes of a bunch of different things that we could discuss on this whole topic. And so, honestly, I mean, <laughs> you know, it's one of the key things. I mean, I wrote down blades. I wrote down uh, top water. I wrote down rubber, crankbaits, jerkbaits, and glidebaits. And that's pretty much the, the general consensus of what we throw in a boat every day. So I wrote all those different things down. I started talking about speeds and different styles and whatever else you got. But the common theme throughout all my notes of all those different types of baits is number one, I would say color. And one of the things about color, it's no different than when we're at a show and somebody comes in and says, hey, I want to get some baits, blah, blah, blah. I'm new to the sport. What should I do? What? How do I go about this? And there's times when I take those people from our booth to other booths and just kind of go over different things. And ultimately, it's about bright colors and then natural colors. And I think that's really important. And then the, then you can start mixing some of the contrast colors. So you've got some dark and some bright mixed together. But, you know, if you're new to the sport or you're just trying to stock up different things in your tackle box, first thing I would do is look at colors and I would go natural and I would go bright. And a lot of times that's two and two or three and three, you know, you got to start building from that. Well, that's funny that you say that. Cause that's exactly what I would say. It's obviously, it, I don't know. I say kind of sounds sort of cliche to say it that way, but yes, that's how you do it. And if you're building bright colors, I, I generally do a lot of contrasting with it, which is, you can see, if you look at our color selection on our website, our bright colors typically have a bright with some dark in it to, to throw that contrast that Brad was talking about. And so Brad, let me ask you a color, a question about color. A lot of times guys will go with the, they'll either use a couple of different theories on color. They'll use bright day, meaning high sky or high skies, sunny, bright day, bright bait, dark day, dark bait. So there's that theory. There's a lot of people that'll go dark water, bright bait, clearer water, natural like where do you kind of fall on the spectrum you know it's really strange i guess jeff you know i fish a lot of clear water but i mean i don't get me wrong i fish some dark water stained water you know and every stain's a little bit different as well and uh one of the things that i could say is like the guys that are out there that fish sabaston bay you got kind of that tannic water and i believe you fish some of that tannic kind of rusty stained water as well don't you jeff absolutely fish quite a bit of it actually so if I was to start there, you know, and, and my first question to somebody, if they came into the booth is, you know, they text me, email, whatever it might be, would be that uh, the first thing I'm going to do is say, where are you fishing? Because that's really kind of important. Um, and what style and what color? I mean, is, is the water green? Is it red? You know, is it really muddy brown? Um, definitely some of those things 
make a, a difference in my world. So I, I mentioned Saviscon Bay, and one of the things that I've always noticed up there is that if you use a lot of coppers and oranges in that same kind of reddish, rusty colored water, I've always done really, really well. Now, when it comes to really clear water, a lot of times I'm, I'm using a lot of blues, purples, more of that cisco type feel. But don't get me wrong, there's times when we'll use something bright as well. Black. So you definitely, it's a loaded question, if you will, Jeff, but I would caution people to, to think outside the box a little bit. And I think when you're in that clear, clear water, you definitely want to use more of a natural type color. But on a bright day, to answer your question on clear water, I do use some pinks and some purples, which again, you know, your pink and your purple can kind of almost be a natural color again, but it definitely works in those clear days. Cloudy days, a lot of times I'll go to a little bit darker base. So I guess I kind of find, follow that cliche. But what's so weird about it is maybe you fish four days in clear, clear, big, bright skies. And we're using something dark and it's been working. Well, when it gets cloudy, I'm going to stay with that bait until I see something different, you know. And the neat thing is, is when you have multiple people in the boat, um, I'm usually experimenting, but I'm going to use the bait that caught fish last, and no matter what color that is, until it proves different. Yeah, I was going to, it's a good thing you mentioned the having multiple people in the boat, because I was going to say, if you have multiple people in the boat, it's always good to vary presentation, vary color, vary presentation itself. If guys are, one guy's throwing something fast, the next guy should be throwing something slow. Maybe one guy's throwing bright, the next guy throwing dark. So definitely continue to mix it up. For sure, if you have multiple people in the boat. As far as what Brad was talking about, dark stained water, in my opinion, is different than dirty water. Dirty water, I'm going to favor more bright all the time. They'd be like a muddy river or like if you sometimes fish the fish Green Bay, you'll see you'll get those blows out of the north and they'll really muddy up the, you know, the lower part of the bay or sometimes you get a big rainstorm and then that water is dirty coming into the river and it muddies up the lower bay. Those would be, you know, perfect time for me to be using bright colors. I like kind of favor bright colors out there in general, but it'd definitely be that. And I was thinking back to a trip we did in Minnesota. We were fishing a river with Noah Binsfield and dirty, dirty water. And most everything we were catching fish on that day was all bright. So, but in dark stained water, I still like bright colors, but I also like to have orange with a black or a chartreuse with some black. I like that contrast like Brad was talking about earlier. So just a few options on colors. But now, Brad, let's talk about, um, I mean, I guess we could do this almost like, a, you know, a sports draft type of thing. I guess if you had to take one bait that had to be in your tackle box, obviously one bait that has to be in your tackle box is going to be a bucktail. But if you had to pick only one of your bucktails, obviously there's tons of different manufacturers on the market. But since you're here, and you support musky ham tackle and own it. Let's we're gonna talk about your product first. If you had to pick one of your bucktails, is that gonna be the number one bait in your box? Well, it's it's really interesting, Jeff. I if this was a year ago, I would say the double cowgirl. And that's probably cliche to a lot of people too. It's an old bait, it's fifteen years old. Still day in and day out, I would always I always fish it. I go back to it. And the reason I go back to it is it performs. And I've always caught fish on it. Today, where I'm sitting, I am more excited. And I know I've said this in a couple of the podcasts already. 
the new detonator reminds me of that cowgirl back in the day. And so today I would say I would pick the detonator and it would be my go-to bait every stinking day. So what you're saying is that I really need to get a couple detonators in my box for next year. Is that what you're telling me? I'm extremely excited about this bait. I mean, the amount of time that I put on it this year and the amount of fish that were caught on it, it's been incredible. It's got a great size. You know, it's not quite the size of a, a supermodel. It pulls easier than a supermodel or a cowgirl, in my opinion. It's a big profile bait, making a ton of noise, and it's pretty incredible is all I can really say. I don't know what else I can say about it. It's got a neat grind to it. It's got a completely crazy thump to it. The skirts are breathing. It's very cool. Color-wise, if I was to pick one color, man, you put me on the spot on this one. I It's clearly going to be a TRO custom color, Brad, <laughs> so don't even go anywhere else. <laughs> it's clearly going to be a Musky Mayhem Tackle standard color job. Oh, oh, <laughs> Just because I don't have any of those Team Rhino colors in my boat right now. Don't worry, Brad. Uh, I'll send you a couple. I know. it's Times are tough over there. I'll send you a couple. <laughs> <laughs> I appreciate that. Uh, man, just, you know, off the top, we did really well on Copper Rainbow, and probably my number one go-to this past season anyway was the Wicked Witch, and it's kind of interesting. I mean, we got a lot of pictures with the Wicked Witch as well, but uh, it's a cool color. It, it, it's got black and purple and um, olive green. Olive green in it, you know, and so it's kind of a mixture, really. I mean, you think about contrast, like we were talking about, it's a mixture of natural and darker colors. So it's really cool in the water, and the fish seem to really dig it. So, again, that was uh, mostly fished on clear water just because some of the stuff I wasn't able to go do um, across the state this last year, and most of my water in my area is all clear. Well, I'm definitely going to have to steal a couple. If I was going to go with one of your newer products as a must-have of my tackle box, I personally was going to go with the 7.9 Trigger, mostly because it's more of a, I'd, I'd say the guys that I fish with, it's one of them that they're going to be able to throw all day, every day, probably. I haven't thrown a detonator, so I have no experience on how the pull is, how difficult that is. But I would probably go with the 7.9 Trigger based off of just a little bit that I saw with it last year. And like I said, we had Steve Jensen a couple weeks back and we were playing her with his boat a little bit towards the end of the season and it, uh, it crushed. And so I'm anxious to see what it'll do over the course of a year. I'm hopeful that maybe I run into a bucktail bite. That's actually decent one of these years. So bucktails are definitely obviously important. Um, because you know, of our affiliation here with musky mayhem tackle, we're clearly heavy on musky mayhem tackle. There are tons of manufacturers out there that you know, have products, although I don't think anybody has the trigger and nobody's got the detonator. So those are very unique to musky mayhem tackle, but for the sake of bucktails, you know, we're not just saying you only have to buy one of those much like we won't say that you only have to buy team rhino custom colors, even though it's wise for you to do both options. Just so you know, <laughs> I was just say, Jeff, we do prefer that. <laughs> well, of course we do. I mean, that's our own. That's our only payment from this podcast is if somebody actually buys a bucktail and they actually buy something from me. Otherwise, we make zero dollars off this podcast. We have had no sponsorship money, no nothing. Although that is that's a lie. I still do have that Minn Kota shirt. I do have that, or the humming hummingbird or Minn Kota, one of the two. I don't remember what yeah. it was. I do have a free shirt, so that's good. I got a twelve dollars shirt out of the deal, so that's pretty sweet. <laughs> 
Well, if we're going to talk blades first, Jeff, you know, some of the other things to, to think about when it comes to blades, you know, when you're filling your tackle box, you definitely want to look at large and small, right? I mean, the size thing is a huge thing too. And, you know, that's kind of, I, I don't know how to say this because I don't want to upset anybody, but, it, you know, ultimately it seems like in Minnesota, we throw a lot larger baits where in Wisconsin, they throw smaller baits. But that's not, that's just a general rule. That doesn't really mean anything. And I know there's a lot of guys over there that throw giant baits. And of course, here in Minnesota, they throw smaller ones as well. And it kind of varies throughout every state. You know, you expand out of the Midwest here and you go east or you go down south. You know, some of that gets mixed as well. But I would just suggest that you need to look at some of those sizes of your bucktails that you're putting in your boxes. And don't be afraid to throw some of the bigger stuff. It's kind of weird, but seems to me that as new musky anglers come to the sport, they usually tend to go smaller than larger. So something to definitely think about, larger profiles versus your small profiles. And then it comes down to speed, and that kind of ties and correlates with uh, the size of the bucktail as well. If you have a giant bucktail with big blades, it's wholehearted, and it's probably not going to be the thing that you're going to want to burn every day. Now, that being said, there's guys out there that'll burn giant baits all day long. So something to think about that way too. And and speed definitely makes the difference. We talk about it all the time, Jeff. Whether you're trolling or casting, speed is a crucial part of the whole sport. What about single blade versus double blade? Single blade versus double blade. That's a good question, Carrie. You know, one of the things about that is that you do get more thump with a single blade. And primarily because that bait is out of balance, if you will. When you go to a double blade, you get more of a vortex behind the bait, which uh, kind of, in my opinion, creates a dead zone where the fish kind of start to lose contact with that vibration. And it definitely can be a triggering factor. It also helps pulsate the spurt more. Um, now we shift into the gears with different size blades on a double-bladed bucktail. And... Um, all of those aren't created equal as, as well. I mean, there's different sounds, different vibrations, different thumps to exactly what that is. And some of the combos really still make those skirts pulsate. You still have that vortex behind the blade, but not always, you know? So some of them, like our trigger, it definitely doesn't have the vortex behind it like our detonator does or our 10-9 does. But uh, the blades are smaller as well. Not a huge deal. I mean, it's still catching fish. And last, I would say, with bucktails that we've uh, started experimenting because of Danny Herbeck is the metal sleeve that we're putting underneath the clevises. There's been plastic spacers under clevises for a long time, which pretty much eliminates all the sound. And we use them in our trolling baits right now just for longevity of the bait. And there's some other manufacturers out there that use it on all their baits. But uh, we kind of went against the grain, which I guess we've kind of been known for. And we're putting a metal sleeve under our clevises, which is creating a really crazy grinding noise as those clevises are spinning around there. Definitely a noise that I think the fish love. The single blade option that Carrie brings up is an interesting one because I still think that that bait, I think I think single blades are just so underutilized in today's musky world. When you guys you know, came, came out with the double cowgirl, however many years ago, 15 years ago, that once that burst onto the scene, it's like everybody wanted to go double blade. And I want to say the fish kind of become conditioned to that. And nowadays, if you are throwing single blades, I think, 
I think there's far, far less of them being thrown than, than double blades, but it's not, I don't even think it's even close. You know, a single blade option that we have on our own website is we had Muskie Mayhem build a bait called the Mimic. We have it in a French blade and a Colorado blade. And it's, uh, it's a under, I would say underutilized bait. In fact, I even underutilize it myself. I should use it more, but we have it in, you know, a handful of different colors. And it literally took me 15 minutes in Muskie water to get it eaten. So if you're looking for single bladed options, you got that and a single girl and, uh, what other single bladed options do you guys have? You have, I mean, we can go even crazier if you want to go with like three and four bladed options, but I think for the, for the, uh, we have the, we have the original showgirl. You do. That's a single bladed flash food bucktail. And that's got a, uh, oh, is that got a fluted blade on it? It's got a fluted Indiana on it. One four off treble hook. It's a little smaller profile. It's still, we still catch fish on those too. We just, you know, they're just, like you said, underutilized. For sure. I think single-bladed bucktails are for sure underutilized. Yeah, we have single-bladed eagle tails that are, are all single-bladed. The eagle tails a little in the mini. And then the rabbit squirrels, the five-inchers and the eight-inchers. And the rabbit girls, those are those can be single-blades or double-blades. And the single girl? Did we talk about the single girl itself yet? The Marabou version, Marabou Flash. Uh, just briefly. Yeah, the neat thing about the single girl, Jeff, you know, it's a bait that I'm. You know, I told you I I'm, was playing with the detonator and the trigger this past summer quite a bit, but for the most part during bucktail season, that middle of the summer time frame, we still had a single girl on almost all the time. It's a really cool thumping bait and. That thump kind of comes from the original eagle tail um, blade, which is a fluted Indiana as well. And it's kind of an oversized blade. And the, the neat thing about that, the uniqueness to the bait, is it's a small profile. You can burn it fast. You can run it slow. But it's got a tremendous amount of thump with that single blade like we're talking. So it's a cool bait. The cast really nice and heavy wind. And um, definitely something that... Uh, that I, it's a go-to bait in my box anyway. So Brad and Carrie, if you had to pick four of you, you had to pick four of your baits, cause there's a whole pile of them. We'll move on from bucktails here in a second. What are the four going to be? Brad, Brad already said a detonator is one of them. What are we going with the other three? A detonator, a double cowgirl. Um, in today's world, I would probably go with uh, a squirrel and <laughs> that's a tough one because I don't know. I, I like the single, then I like the double. And then, uh, for sure, the, the single girl. I really like the single girl. You know, it, it's a tough one because the 10-9, what an incredible bait as well. I, it's, it's hard, but I would say something to the detonator cowgirl, a squirrel of some sort, and a single girl. And, and the reason I say that is I pretty much have all the size combinations tied down there. I have some that I can burn, some that I can slow roll, and some that I can run just at a moderate speed. So. That would cover all the gamut. Yep, I won't disagree. I think I would probably go, I don't know, just for next season, I'd probably go 7-9 trigger, detonator, uh, junior cowgirl, because I'm not as tough as you. And, well, if I can get a willow-bladed rabbit, rabbit squirrel, I'm going to go with a willow-bladed rabbit squirrel, even single or double, doesn't matter. They're all good. Not that I'm telling you you should go buy one and get free shipping from Musky Mayhem Tackle, but just in case you were looking. Um, one of the things there, Jeff, 
you know, you mentioned the mimic. I'm curious, the first 15 minutes you said you put a fish in the boat, was that the um, the Colorado blade or was that the uh, French blade? That was the Colorado blade, mostly because it's one of those things, you know. I, I probably should throw a French bladed more often too because much like single bladed bucktails, Colorado blades are the most popular blades ever and the French blade isn't very, you know, it's just not very common. So for me, it was a confidence thing. Used the Colorado one. Didn't use the French one that much. So it's, you know, Brad, the one thing about picking baits is there's always, there's never enough time on the water to give them all the appropriate amount of time that they deserve, you know? I, I get it. And like I said earlier too, as I'm prototyping something, um, <laughs> it gets a little tricky that way as well. For sure. Okay, let's move on from bucktails. I think we've given that appropriate amount of time. So obviously bucktails are one of them that you should have. Well, I'll, Brad, I'll let you, uh, since I said bucktails are a must-have in your box, and I, I still think that they are a must-have, what's your next must-have? I think they're all, I think every category has a time and place. So I'm not trying to take out categories. I'm just trying to break them down by must-haves. I think bucktails are a must-have. Then what's your next one, Brad? You know, it's really interesting. Like I said, I was jotting down notes when you two were talking back and forth. Um, you know, if I was to pick one other bait that I definitely think is important, I guess I'd have to go with the crankbait. And I, well, for whatever reason, since I was a kid, I just have a passion for crankbaits. And crankbaits are a neat bait that, you know, allows you to do a couple different things. You can troll with them, you can cast them, you can twitch them and rip them. And, you know, there's so much. There's a lot to a crankbait. It really is. And I'd say that they're probably underutilized, honestly, throughout the whole musky world. Um, I might get chastised for saying that because, you know, your trollers are like, well, that's all I use, you know. But honestly, in a casting atmosphere, and I know Seifert brought that up a couple episodes ago, where he was casting some of the uh, the matlocks, and we were having success with it. And it's, it's something that definitely is underutilized i would say by most anglers i don't think i can disagree with you like you said the trolling i'm going to talk mostly the baits i'm going to talk about today are are going to be used for casting i'm talking because i would still say that the majority of the guys cast i think there's you know maybe like a quarter of the musky anglers are like hardcore trolling guys and there's like i'd say like me and a bunch of other guys they're kind of all in the middle they'll do whatever it takes to catch a musky and then you also have the hardcore casting guys and so for the sake of this talk i'll talk uh, casting but i would agree crankbaits i think for casters are very very underutilized i don't see a lot of guys doing it i know that i i do know some guys that definitely cast them a lot and they have success doing it quite honestly it's not one of those presentations that i'm pulling out of my box to cast with real often i'm very rarely pulling out a crankbait this past season i did a little bit more i was twitching that little five inch slammer minnow which Minnesota guys, especially Brad, would have nothing to do with. Five inches, tiny, shallow deal. Um, I twitched that a lot early season. That worked pretty well early season too. But um, I'm, that's not my that's not my go-to presentation. My second presentation that I would say, I mean, we'll get back and we'll talk crankbaits yet. But if I was picking my second presentation, it would probably be a dive and rise bait. I would say that or a glide bait, but I'm thinking I'm going to give the nod to dive and rise just because I've played around with that a lot more and had more success with it in recent seasons. But that would be my second best, my second choice. And again, that might not be Brad's deal, but I don't, 
unlike Brad, I don't think the dive and rise bait is underutilized anymore. I think it's actually, you know, with the bar fighters and all these other like small basement bait builders, we'll call them. They've kind of rejuvenated the uh, popularity of that bait, so to speak. I think for a while that one was kind of, kind of lost and buried a little bit, don't you think? I had the suet. Yeah, the suets have always been there. You know, I mean, it's a staple in this industry, and and they're a great bait, obviously. So, I mean, I I kind of, you know, when you're sitting there talking about that, Jeff, you know, you can relate crankbait to a dive and rise possibly even a glider because the, all three can be used in a similar fashion, if you will, if you're casting and twitching or ripping, you know? Oh yeah, I agree. The one thing you mentioned the suic, yes, it's always been there, but I think because it's always been there that sometimes it gets overlooked for a musky bait. It's like the bobby bait. The bobby bait's been there for 60 some years. The suic's been there for 60 some years. Quite honestly, if you're looking for a dive and rise bait, I don't know why you would have to buy anything else, but you know, there's other options out there now. There's plastic options that are good. SRJs for pandemonium tackle those, catch muskies and things like that. But I just think because they've been there for so long, they're over, they're under underutilized or overlooked. There's certain guys that have a cult like following on them, but there's also like the newer angler. He's there. Oh, like sometimes the newer angler, and I'm even guilty of it. They want the next newest shiny thing. And so they sometimes, you know, kind of kick those older trustworthy baits to the back of the pile. It seems like. Yeah, I would disagree with that, Jeff. You know, we have a big daddy that <laughs> we don't even build another dive and rise bait that it's a go-to bait for me. It's in my box all the time. I, I love that option. One of the things to consider, I know I've said this in a past podcast somewhere down the road, but uh, you know, when rubber isn't working in the late fall, a dive and rise can be the ticket. And it might not only be a dive and rise, it might be that crankbait that you're twitching as well. So I've always said, if you're not getting them on rubber, throw wood. And if you're not getting them on wood, throw rubber. You know, you got to switch it up a little bit. And I will tell you, it's really bizarre when you start putting these patterns together. You know, one day they want rubber. The next they might want wood for two or three days. And then it goes back to rubber. So I think you know, the craze of all the rubber different baits that we have out there has kind of eliminated some of the dive and rides as well. And it should know. It's definitely a go-to bait. We also have, like, the stereotype in the fall that fish only want rubber or dive and rides or suckers, but you can still throw all your other all your other baits. You can still throw topwater. You can still throw bucktails. I mean, we've red cut fish on detonators way into the fall this year. When Cowgirls first came out, we would catch, and Minnesota season didn't close December 1st, we would catch cowgirl, or fish on, on Cowgirls into December. They still eat them. They might not eat them as much, or, but it's still a valid option to try. It also depends on, you know, how far down the, how, how active the muskie is, how far down the water column they are. I mean, those are all options, you know, things to consider when you're picking muskie lures, you know, we're, we're going through here and we're listing off some baits, but we're not necessarily putting a time and place on these particular baits. You know, you were talking suix and diving rise in the fall. I've caught fish on diving rise all season long, much like I'm sure there's been people that have caught fish on topwaters all season long. So there's, we're not necessarily talking time and place. We're just talking different tools that you should have in your box and they're they all have different applications 
But yeah, I think sometimes we get sucked into that whole progression. It goes, uh, start the season out with something kind of slower, smaller, slower. Then you speed up in the summer months and then you start to go slower and bigger in the fall until they either eat, you know, really big baits moved pretty slow or they get, or they're eating suckers. You know, that's kind of, it seems like we get sucked in that progression a lot and obviously it pays some days to break outside that progression. Hands down, Joe. I, I think we can all get hung up on certain things. So, you know, you start talking, we started talking about crankbaits, you started talking about dive and rise and gliders and what have you. Again, you know, colors become one of the big factors, but there's other factors to that whole realm as well. And that's, you know, a tight, fast wobble versus a wide gliding type crankbait that's going to wander. And um, those are different things to think about as well. You know, some of those get belly roll, some don't. And um, sometimes fish... You know, they're going to basically want one of the two at some point. So you, you definitely got to think about that as you're loading your tackle box. Yeah, and I would say with the crankbait thing you're talking about, we're, you know, we're trying to keep this on casting. But on trolling, it's definitely something to consider even more is, you know, like you said, that big wide wobble, that really tight, small, fast wobble or wiggle, or it's more of a wiggle than a wobble, you know, really super tight, like a lot of those shad profile baits. Those are all things to consider when you're building your tackle box and crankbaits. I feel whether you're trolling them or casting them, it's a lot of bait fish, you know, match the hatch type of stuff. Like in Ohio, they're not using 10 inch jakes. Although again, I wonder how successful they'd be if they did run in te- run 10 inch jakes. Cause I would say, you know, crankbait wise, Northern Wisconsin would be still one of those places that we're, we're playing with bigger baits a little bit more, but we're not, we're not known for throwing big baits up in Wisconsin. It'd be uh, a depth raider would be considered almost like a big bait, but every year, I mean, when it gets fall time, I'm rolling 14 inch jakes. I'm rolling 12 inch matlocks, 10 inch matlocks, 10 inch, 12 inch headlocks, you know, all that stuff. So you you just, sometimes I wonder, you know, like I said, we kind of get stuck. Like a lot of those Eastern guys, it's all small shad stuff. I wonder what happened if they, broke out of the mold a little bit and went to some of those bigger baits, you know, I mean, Brad, obviously you start the season out right away with the biggest stuff you can 13 inch grandmas, 14 inch Jake's 12 inch matlocks and headlocks. I mean, so you're, you're going big, right, right from the gate. So you're kind of breaking out of that mold right away. Yeah. I think the unique parts of that job is I'm sure there's guys out east and I know a few of them, (laughs) they, uh, you know, the smaller profile, crankbaits that they're trolling definitely they use a lot of small stuff but there's always those guys that are using big stuff and they're having a ton of success and sometimes that's not always talked about so and it's no different than in northern wisconsin i mean i know a few individuals that are throwing big giant blade baits and they're having a ton of success on them and everybody else around them's having some success on the smaller stuff but you know who wins the battle there i think standing outside of the norm sometimes pays off in, in big dividends for you. Hopefully I can remember this podcast by the time May rolls around. I still want to try that whole bigger bait thing to start the season off. Not all day, not every day, but just to see, just to play around with it. Cause I'm guilty as much as anybody else. I'm going smaller and shallower in the spring. And I don't know, sometimes maybe that's why I catch small fish in the spring. This season was small fish all season, but, um, Maybe it's one of those things where maybe I need to break into the Brad mold a little bit more. (laughs) 
I, I like to go opposing, right? You know, I, I try to do something different than what everybody else is doing. So that's just my, my typical answer to the whole sport, really. But uh, I'm not saying that I'm not trying the small stuff, but ultimately go against the grain a little bit. You might be surprised. So then, all right, I don't know that we really talked so much about glide baits. Is there a particular glide bait if you're throwing one? I don't even know. How much do you even throw a glide bait, Brad? you throw one quite a bit? Uh, I threw them a lot years ago. And back when Musky Buster was around, one of my favorite glide baits was the AP. Unfortunately, that company is no longer for the most part. So I still have some of those. And one of the reasons why I like them is they're a little bit thicker and wider. And literally, I would look for the heaviest ones that they were making based upon the density of the wood. And I like a little bit of sink with my glide bait. Um, obviously, I've thrown a lot of phantoms, you know, and they, um, they're they a great bait. And one of the neat things about a phantom or even a uh, hellhound is that pretty much anybody, even if they don't have really good rhythm, can make them glide back and forth. So. There's a couple different baits out there, you know, when you start looking at that. If you're inexperienced with a glide bait, maybe start off with a Hellhound right now because they're really easy to work or a Phantom, you know, that pretty much anybody can make them work. I still think the easiest one to work is a Hellhound. I think that's, in my opinion, that's just the easiest. I mean, you can literally just about reel that thing in and it's going to do some action to it. I think a phantom isn't very difficult to work, but I th- but one thing I do like about a phantom is I think it's slightly harder to work than a hellhound. Still not difficult in my opinion, but I think it's a little more subtle in the water. It's not so aggressive like a hellhound. If depending on how hard you work it, it can get kind of aggressive. The other one that I don't talk about much is the squirkle. I still think that one's a good one. I know of guys that do really well on them, especially the baby ones in early season. But if you're going to go Brad style, you're going to want to go big. So maybe go with the regular or the XL to start the season out. But those are all good glide bait options. There's a ton of glide good gliders out. I mean, there's a million little small glide bait companies, especially like that that southern West Virginia area. Those guys have a bunch of cool glide baits. And there's, I mean, they're all over. There's tons of different basement bait builder popping up all over. But if you're looking for mainstream, I think it's hard to go wrong with a Hellhound, a Phantom, or a Squirkle. Yeah, you know, Jeff, I I believe it's called the River Runner that I bought from uh, West Virginia this past spring. I I think I shared that with you, didn't I? I mean, he's he's basically building these in his garage, and I believe he's from Virginia, maybe West Virginia. I don't remember. I I found him on Instagram. An incredible, incredible glide bait. It's pretty amazing. I know he's spending a lot of time. He throws them in a pool, every stinking one of them, so he knows how they glide and weights them accordingly. Pretty cool bait. Jeff, does Monkey Mania or Drifter still make the Magic Makers? I don't think that they do. I I certainly haven't seen them on an order form. I know that, I want to say one of my, I want to say that uh, Tony Spicker at one point had some too that he was doing. I I know I got one from him, but I don't know if, he just bought some blanks and painted them up or if he was making them himself or what he was doing. It's that more like panfish style glide bait. Yeah. those were always good too. Yep. And I don't know, like I said, I haven't seen them around in years. Like Brad said though, if you know, you're looking to support a small handcrafted, small batch maker stuff. I mean that, that West Virginia area is 
pretty solid with them. Occasionally we get batches of these little five inch Narcans and seven inch Narcans from my addiction custom lures, super awesome handmade wood gliders. I mean, it, like I said, that area, that West Virginia area, they're, they're loaded with them. I mean, you could find them river run them was one hot tail gliders is another one, you know, all those, even, I mean, even if you stay in Northern Wisconsin you can go with Smitty baits too. And he's got a whole pile of wood stuff too. All, all affordable. I mean, the Smitty bait stuff is incredible. So it's just, there's lots of, uh, one thing nice about muskies, musky fishing today is there's no barrier to entry as far as baits. There's tons of baits and tons of options. So that's why we could talk about this stuff for days. You know, we talked about, we went to dive and rise. We talked about suics and bobbies mostly. Well, the Smitty bait is one that's been out for 65 years too. His nine inch jerk and his smaller jerk. And then they have the little plastic tails on some of them too. I mean, all that stuff from Smitty is, it's uh, proven. And I know last year those guys, you know, crushed on that stuff as well. So there are tons of tons of different options out there for people that are looking for baits. It's not a problem. That's why I think sometimes these conversations get to be difficult because of how many different options that there are. Some guys new to the bait, new to the, to the sport, there's uh you're going to get overwhelmed quickly. Yeah. I can't disagree with any of that, Jeff, but you know, one thing that we didn't touch on now that we're talking gliders, we're talking diving rides, we're talking crankbaits, and this could slip right into rubber as well. And it, possibly even in your top water, but more importantly, the, the three or four that we just talked about, one thing that you want to do is we were talking earlier on blades with colors, um, a couple different people, Duff being one of them in my boat over the last couple of years trolling. Um, second of all, Matt Seifert's another one, but on your nice bright days, they want to run a orange bellied bait and <laughs> You know, I kind of, okay, I, I guess I never really noticed that, but we started doing it and definitely we were catching fish doing it, but I don't know that it would have been the total complete answer. Um, but they like the oranges and the uh, chartreuse bellies on clear days and then white bellies on the cloudier days, which I thought was interesting. So I thought I'd throw that tidbit in there and I think that would match up with all the rubber baits as well and the gliders and diving rides. For sure. So since you talked about rubber bread, let's kind of jump into that. Cause that's also, I mean, the weird thing about this is on any given day, some of this stuff could flip flop as far as what you want to pull out of your tackle box. You still need to evaluate it, but rubber is for sure an option that you need to have. In my opinion, there's, there's just a ton. I mean, in my, there, now there's just a ton more options out there, especially with, you know, with all the different sizes, you have Medusa's in five different sizes, you have bulldogs in I don't even know how many different sizes a pile you have them in pro harnesses and regular harnesses and double dogs. And then now you add in the rubber baits with the swim baits with the paddle tails. I mean, the, the rubber bait options nowadays can get overwhelming as well as anything else. I, I still think if you're going rubber baits though, you either got to have a bulldog and a Medusa, you either need to go with a regular or a mag in the bulldogs. And you, in my opinion, you should be going with, probably the regular, maybe the mid or mini, depending upon the time of year. Obviously it's, you know, based off your, your area you fish into. I mean, if you're leaning and, and you as an angler, if you're leaning towards bigger baits, obviously you're going to be going more huskies and, and pounders and stuff. But I'm talking more about sales in general, the mag bulldog and the reg Medusa are probably the two most popular. So you should have those in your tackle box. I just think they're, 
That's important. Uh, as far as swim baits are concerned, I think you should have some of those too. How much do you use that stuff, Brad? Are you using, using bulldogs, medusas, swim baits, Poseidons, all that stuff a lot or not? Yeah, you know, I, I still use probably mag dogs the most out of all of the different rubber. Um, I do throw some, some of chaos tackles, medusas for sure. And, um, you know, I honestly, depending on what I'm doing, I, I if I'm going to throw big, I'm going to throw a pounder type feel. It's usually a bulldog. I don't generally throw the Medusa Huskies. Is that what he's calling them now? They were called a pounder for a little while. Well, he's but, got a, uh, he's got a Husky and then he also has a monster too. The Husky okay. is far more popular than the monster is. Cause I've, I've heard from guys that the monster is just a beast to throw. I'm court. I'm not that manly, so I'm not throwing monsters. I can't say I've ever thrown one, but I don't throw pounders a ton either. So maybe again, that's maybe maybe a detriment to me. But typically, much right. like you, Brad, if I'm throwing rubber, I'm going to start at a mag dog usually. Right. You know, the neat thing, something to consider when it comes to rubber, is that you know those both have flatter bellies, so that they're going to kind of glide more in the water, where they're they're wiggling. They've got a little bit of belly roll to them, obviously, but they, they're more gliding type bait in the water when you pause. So they kind of just hover and slowly go down. Where this year, I know we talked about it a little bit earlier with the uh, a podcast two, three, four ago, whatever it was. One that I started playing with this year is the Royal Orba. And it's kind of a unique bait because it's a round bait. And I think it, it drops just a hair quicker because it is round. It isn't gliding through the water per se. Yeah, that makes sense. The other one too, that if you want to go back to, um, I think it was guide panel one, I don't remember what episode number it was, but you know, Jeff Hansen's talking about big Joe's and he tells me that the big Joe is probably one of his most popular rubber baits that he has. And a big Joe is probably one of the most, I mean, we talked about it in that episode, underutilized, underlooked or overlooked baits. And that one's seriously underutilized and overlooked. But Jeff was, you know, if you go listen to the podcast, Jeff kind of talks about how he works it, how he doesn't he doesn't work it like he does all the other rubber baits. It's definitely a different a different deal he's got going on there. But like you said, Brad, Royal Orba, that was another one that Seifert talked about as underutilized, and that's becoming more popular as well, I think. Yeah, for sure. And, you know, the thing is, I, I would agree with Jeff. You know, the Big Joe is something that I've always got him in the boat, and he's probably right. I underutilized it. There was a time and a place where I, I used them every day. You know, they're an incredible bait and they will get bites. So definitely something to think about. But, you know, one of the uniqueness, too, about the Royal Orba is the two blades behind it. Um, I think those two blades, they're banging off of one another. They're making a different noise where normally most of your rubber baits are quiet and really don't provide a whole lot of noise other than maybe your line ripping through the water. But there's another option, too, and I, I don't even know. Do you sell these, Jeff? the bulldozer where you're putting blades in front of a, a bulldog or a Medusa or whatever it might be. Yeah. We have some different options out there from lunge and lures, and we're going to have a couple more different options available as well. But yeah, we, we have those, uh, uh, whatever you want to call them, the little blade attachments that, yep. That you could put in front of bulldogs. Uh, I've seen guys do it on like the front of a Poseidon or a swimming dog as well too. And then they just straight crank the thing in. So yep, we definitely have all that stuff. And it's for sure. A, another, Another, um, I don't know, modification that guys do to help put mus more muskies in the net. Yeah, you know, it's unique. It's uh, something that 
man, long before any of those blade attachments were attached to any rubber base, um, we were doing it, I don't know, 15 years ago. And I will say, when we put blades in front of some of that rubber and just slow rolled them back in, we were getting bites when we couldn't get anything else to do anything. So it's kind of unique, and it's something to consider and think about when you're in the boat this, this coming season. But uh, like I said, the tail blades on an Orva is pretty cool, but you can put them in the front, definitely. You could probably make an attachment to clip onto the back of a bulldog as well if you really wanted to. So think outside the box when it comes to that. So I know we kind of went over that one pretty quick. There's obviously a ton of options out there. We sort of, you know, to keep this one somewhere around an hour, let's talk before we get out of here, let's talk about top water. Cause you know, much like everywhere else, I, I guess if I had to pick one, the most popular one would be the tail rotating top water, whether, whether it be a, a pacemaker, um, uh, fat bastard, Dr. Evil, night Walker from Suic. I mean, on and on chaos tackle or big mama now has a bunch of different options too you can, you know, there's tons of different options, but that would be for sure one in the top water section that you'd want to have. But Brad, if you had to pick, if you pick a top water, what are you picking? Are you going more like we go walk the dog style? Are you going with a tail rotating top water? Or are you going flap tail? What would be your first choice in the top water section? That's a tough question. I, I definitely, um, I've always been a pacemaker guy and you know, they used to be available at the show, and I don't even know what size they called it. But the standard pacemaker was a little bit bigger than that again, probably almost double. It's probably 12 inches long. I throw a lot of them. Again, I like big baits, and it's been a go-to for a long time. I've only got a few of them left. I bought quite a few of them when they were available last time. Um, and I don't know if you can get them on special order or not, Jeff. Um, was that the wood one? Is that what you're talking about? Yeah, it was a big giant one that they did. Um, I think Ty did it the last year that he was still running before he sold it to Drifter. But Pacemaker uh, has always been one of those baits. I mean, it's a go-to bait, obviously. And, and in all sizes, don't get me wrong, but I really like that super large one. So for a prop bait, that's what it's been. I know a couple things that I don't know how far I can go into it, but... Uh, <laughs> you will be getting some at some point, a, a new prop bait that I was fortunately um, provided this past season and was able to throw, and it's an incredible bait. And I, I just don't know if I can say the name yet. I don't know where that's all at. Yeah, I don't think it's quite ready to go yet. It's definitely a cool bait, and we'll for sure talk about it more. But that would mean, that would lead me into the flap tail thing. I mean, I think we could talk a little bit about that with the flap tail. Huh, Brad, I mean, you were kind of involved in, in that whole process on this flap tail we want to talk about, isn't it? Absolutely. I mean, I, I like to think that I provided a few answers in that whole deal. Um, you know, before we go shift into the flap tail concept, you know, we should talk, at least briefly say, hey, there's some creepers out there that are phenomenal baits, as well as like your wobblers, which I guess if you ultimately could just say the hog wobbler. I mean, an incredible bait as well. Both the creeper and the hog wobbler are going to be slower presentations, but uh, definitely something to consider when you're out there. Well, most of those top water presentations are a lot slower. I mean, if you look at flap tails in general, those are a lot slower presentation. Tail rotators, definitely not. But then you also have, you know, every one of those creeper style ones, those are all always typical, going to be slower. But then... Um, you go with like a Weagle style or a walk the dog style. We used the Weagle cause it was 
probably the most popular one out there, but you know, those are still a slow, a slow deal as well. Most, yeah, absolutely. you yeah. know, I think most, I think one thing is, I think a lot of fishermen, I'm no, I'm super guilty of it. I can't go that slow. So I don't use that stuff much. I used to like a Weagle quite a bit. Now it's sort of, it's not really my rotation really. Cause I just, I don't know, maybe I've gotten less patient as I've gotten older, which I don't know, it's probably not a good thing, but I definitely don't have the patience to do it. But well, uh, I think, I think Jeff, not to interrupt you there, um, definitely something to consider. I mean, if you struggle going slow and the presentation needs to be slow, I think if you go to a walk the dog top water, you're active while you're working it. And honestly, if you're doing it right, that bait's coming in relatively slow, yet you're doing a bunch of work. So if you have problems with patience, that's maybe a really good option with your top water. I think I have problems with patience. You can ask Melissa. She'd probably tell you that sometimes. <laughs> oh, I know what you're saying. You know, it, it's uh, something that you definitely need to consider and, and it has to fit your style. You know, if you're doing it and throwing it, you better be able to work it. Absolutely. So obviously flap tails, there's a bunch of those on the market. Last year we brought in the Smitty flap tail. That was a great addition for us. But this, the newer bait I want to talk about is this one from Bomb Squad Baits. Uh, I think he calls it like the Mark 9. Hopefully by the time you hear this, it'll be on our website because we literally just got them today. Cool, big flap tail that Brad, I know, helped in, in uh, did, do a lot of the tweaking and designing on. It's not coming out under the Musky Mayhem name, but I know, Brad, you were extensively involved. Why don't you talk a little bit about how cool that bait's going to be? Yeah, absolutely, Jeff. You know, it's kind of crazy. I've only been throwing flap tails for a couple of years and definitely a bait that everybody should have in the box. And, you know, the cool, unique part, I guess, if you will, of all flap tails is generally small batch garage type builders that are doing them. And this whole process, I think, is, you know, bomb squad which uh, is just coming out, kind of going to start seeing it hit the surface here. It's going to be available in a store platform. So it's, it's a really, really cool bait. He's using a number nine blade on the back for the, the tail. And there's a resonator on the back of that tail that when that blade comes whipping back around, it definitely resonates through the bait. And I'm, I'm telling you, the thing has been pretty wild. It's uh we were struggling a couple days where we weren't seeing fish and immediately as soon as Jeff started throwing it, we were moving fish, they were attacking it and we've made a bunch of modifications from it from that first initial day throwing and uh, definitely going to be a bait that's going to hook up fish. It's not a real long profile bait either. It's just wide. I mean, that thing is, it is wide. It's like a darn baseball bat, it seems like. Not exactly, but it is. It's a big, wide bait. I mean, you want a big target. That's that's the bait. Yeah, I think it's beyond that as well, Jeff. You know, one of the uniqueness to it is, is it is shaped like a bomb. I mean, that's where the bomb squad baits came from. And uh, what I mean by that is it has a tail on the backside, so it tapers down to, as you said, maybe like a baseball bat shape even. You know, it kind of has that bomb profile, if you will. But uh, being fat and big-bodied like that, it, it's pushing a ton of water. And I think that's one of the uniqueness things about that. I mean, every, every flat tail kind of pushes water, but this one's pushing a bunch of water. And um, 
that being said, <laughs> you know, the more water you move at a slower pace, it's pretty interesting. I mean, it's, it's similar to a bird swimming in the water, a duck or a, a loon or whatever it might be. So, so let me, uh, before we head out of here, let's talk about one thing, Brad, and that'd be color with top waters. And Carrie, I know you did quite a bit of top water fishing back in the day, I think too. Do you have, uh, do you have color selections or color choices for these top water baits? Cause typically I'd be buying two. I'd be, if I wanted one, if I wanted to, you know, I wanted to cover it all. I'd have one that was dark, whether it be black or loon or whatever. And then I'd have one bright one. That's how I would typically choose top water baits. Is that kind of the same deal that you'd go with in that too? Honestly, I, I don't know why, but I'm always attracted to the loon, but just because it's got a little bit of contrast. But generally speaking, most of your loon patterns are just a black belly anyway. So it really maybe is more pleasant to look at, you know, in your box or on your, under your line to see that extra color. But loon is always a go-to. I, if there's a loon, I'll get that. If there isn't, I'll just get a standard black on black, if you will. And then on top of that, I generally look for something like a black body orange tail or a black body fluorescent green or flowage green type tail. Those are some of my go-tos, whether it be, you know, we're talking about a pacemaker. That's one of my favorites as well. Topwaters, I generally don't vary a whole lot from black, but there, there's a, there's always been a couple, you know, I've got some fire tiger where it's got an orange belly. And I think sometimes during the day that, uh, that can kind of produce more fish, but ultimately with my topwater game, I'm looking for a bait that actually has more of a silhouette type pattern to it. Yeah. I'm, I would say I'm pretty, pretty similar to that. You know, I usually, I like the contrast. I like the black, like you said, the loon, you kind of get that black, white, that contrast in the loon. So I like that pattern as well. Otherwise, you know, if I'm, you know, happen to be throwing it, during sunny conditions, sometimes I'm going to be going with a bright color. Otherwise, if it's, you know, dusk-ish area, probably go, like you said, black-orange, loon, black chartouche, black-green. Definitely trying to get a little bit of black in a lot of that topwater stuff that I throw. Yeah, it's kind of funny. I mean, if you think about it and you look at topwater bait, generally speaking, it's a lot of black. I mean, and that's, uh, that's always kind of been the way it's been. I don't know. But... Uh, don't get me wrong. I, I think there's a time and a place, but you know, you get your go-tos and the crazy part is, is that most of my top waters are either so chewed up or hook rash. It's pretty much just natural wood color, <laughs> wood or plastic. Right. Exactly. You know, to kind of button up this whole episode, Jeff, you know, really ultimately throw what, what gives you the confidence. I mean, ultimately, you have a special bait. I mean, every musky angler has a couple baits that are their go-to bait. And, uh, you know, honestly, that's where you need to be, you know, with the confidence level. When you have confidence and you're throwing your bait, you're going to work it better. You're going to fish it harder. And ultimately, that's the real bottom line to this whole deal. I think the other thing you'd add to, Brad, would be, you know, every one of these baits is a tool. They're... You know, you're not going to, I don't know how that goes. You're not going to use like a screwdriver to take the tire off of a car or something like that. Like they, they all have a time and place and there's certain tools that are better for certain times and time on the water will let you know which tool is best for which job. And so it's really all about learning, you know, what learning where, when, when, and where to use each, 
each tool you have in your toolbox essentially. So that's kind of how it is with baits. Every one of them's got a, they have pluses and negatives to them, and you got to find them where they fit into your, you fit into your arsenal, fit into your fishing style, and uh, learn how to work them and enjoy working them too. I mean, it helps make musky fishing quite a bit better. Like Matt Matt said on the last podcast we did, he really enjoys working baits. Well, if you enjoy that part of musky fishing, then I mean, it definitely helps bridge the gap between the hours and potentially days between musky catches. So, you know, just get out there and you know, play around with your tools and learn how to work them. Absolutely. When it goes hand in hand with what I said with the confidence, Jeff, if you enjoy working it, you're going to feel good and you're going to fish hard. For sure. The other thing we can do that I'll mention before we get out of here is leaders, you know, we'll probably start swinging back around to John Betty here in, I don't know, maybe a month or so. And we kind of have them pair up things seasonally, you know, as far as what leader goes with what, make sure you got it. But leaders definitely make a difference in, in the action and performance of these baits. You don't want to be using, you know, big, heavy, bulky stuff on a tiny little glide bait and so so on and so forth. So uh, that's something keep, you know, we've done it in past episodes. We hit up John Betty with Stealth Tackle and it, it's definitely something that you're going to want to make sure you have the right, you know, the right leader for these baits as well. Absolutely. John does a great job. I love self leaders and um, he's got an answer for just about everything, Jeff. Yeah, especially now. I redid a bunch of pictures on my website this weekend and I'm just going through the product. There must be like 35 different products here and I'm like, it can't be this difficult to freaking catch a muskie. Like, why do we have 35 different options? But they're time and place, you know. I mean, certain fluorocarbon in certain poundages are better for certain things and then some guys want to have with snaps and other guys want to not have snaps and wire goes with here and certain length wire and certain pound wire it's just there's a lot of different i mean you know we all take musky i don't want to say we take it for granted but like there's a lot of knowledge that needs to go into being successful on the water day in and day out i mean it's not just as, i mean it can be a matter of just grabbing a bucktail going to a weed bed don't use a leader or anything and just you can get lucky and do that but to be successful day in, day out on the water, it definitely takes a lot of, I mean, a lot of time on the water, a lot of, uh, intelligence or whatever it takes. Uh, I think we all can grasp it cause it's not like, you know, uh, geometry or algebra or anything like that, but it's just time on the water will help you get, gain a lot of that knowledge. Absolutely. It's tough. Like I said, tough to catch them from the couch. So time on the water is the, potential key to everything ultimately i mean the harder you're willing to work the more success you're going to taste i will not argue with you one bit so carrie why don't you talk a little bit about what's going on with musky mayhem tackle this weekend for anybody that's listening this week when this episode comes out it'd be the 8th 9th and 10th of january yep starting on friday we will have our show colors and in squirrels girls um detonators, triggers, and a few other things on the website, on the, the show colors page of, of our website. And um, you can use the code CHICAGO21 for free shipping. So for anybody looking to go to TeamRhinoOutdoors.com, you can find a bunch of stuff right there. Check out our entire selection. If you want free shipping this weekend, enter the code free at checkout f-r-e-e at checkout and you can get free shipping from us through january 8th 9th and 10th in celebration of us not being at chicago i guess celebration is probably not the right thing in uh 
I don't know, in honor of us not being at Chicago. I think we'd all rather be in Chicago, but instead we'll hang out at home and ship stuff for free. But anyways, so go check us out, muskymayhemtackle.com, teamrhinooutdoors.com. Both of us have some stuff going on. If you're looking for videos to keep yourself going on through the winter, I know I've seen some stuff from the detonator from Muskie Mayhem Tackle. They've shot a bunch of stuff this this uh, past summer, and you can probably start seeing some of those videos pretty soon. And same thing with Team Rhino Outdoors. I'd imagine by uh, next couple weeks, we'll start busting out our stuff through our season. We've uh, we shot a bunch of video. Now it's time for me to start editing it. Fortunately, we've been still you know busy enough selling baits, so I haven't had time to edit as much. But um, you know we'll get around to it. Unless Brad and Gary have anything else to add, we uh, we hope everybody had a great New Year, great holiday season. Thanks again for coming back and listening to another episode of Backlash Podcast. And we'll see you all next week. <laughs>